We come to God's Word this morning, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have had more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Mel. And amen to the reading of God's word. Oh, good morning. Well, we've, uh, we've heard from the word of God, we've prayed uh, about that this morning, so let's uh, jump in. We're going to be starting a new series just for half of this term. This term incorporates the lead into Christmas, but for the next five or so weeks, with a couple of uh, special spots in between, for example, a preschool service is coming up early in November. Uh, We're also having Tim Bowden come and preach uh, before he leaves the area. He'll be coming on the last Sunday in November in the morning, and we're looking forward to that, of course. And as we start the new year, just to get your thoughts Moving, uh, Dr. James Beach, the new principal, will be speaking here in February as well. We'll be doing his induction service, which will be a real privilege as a church to set him apart, and we're starting to plan some of those details, so that'll be exciting as well. So there's a few things happening in, in this term, and one of them, as we kick off, will be this final part of our vision statement. You've already heard it this morning, Jeremy mentioned it. In his prayer. So, our vision, of course, is to love God, to love others, to serve our world in Jesus' name. And throughout this year, we've been looking just slowly at unpacking each of those statements what it means to love God, and then what does it mean then, because of our love for God, to love others. And one way that we do that, of course, is to serve our world, demonstrating our love, and that we do all of that in Jesus' name. And so, we're going to look at that last phrase. We're going to look at the fact that that gives us a distinctiveness as a church in our vision. Uh, Loving God and loving others and serving our world could be a lot of different groups. It could be 
uh, a group of Muslims. It could be a group of spiritualists. It could be a range of people who seek uh, to explore their spirituality and, and think about what it means to love God and express that to the world. But when you add at the end, in Jesus' name, it gives us our distinctive edge as a group of people who seeking to follow Christ, seeking to know him, to have him as Lord, and then to express what that looks like and what that means uh, in our world. And so our final statement is really important. It's talking about how do we live lives that are distinctively flavoured by Jesus Christ, that are distinctively shaped by Jesus Christ, that follow his agenda, that pick up the heart of Christ and seek to live that out. Because the Bible talks in a number of ways uh, about uh, what it means to, to live like Christ. Paul in Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Bible is indicating that, that God is shaping us, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's part of the reason um, that, that we are now living as followers of Christ, that God is actively shaping it our lives to be, to be like him. Look at what John says uh, at the end of the New Testament in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says, The one who says uh, he or she abides in him ought themselves to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. To walk in the same way, says the New American Standard Version. To walk as he walked. What does that mean? The NIV translates it like this. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's what it means, to live as Jesus did. The Bible is saying we are to be people who are not only being worked on by God, that God is actively shaping to be more like him, but we also, as we follow him, must pick up aspects of, of, uh, of who Jesus is and, and how to live like him. So what does that mean, to walk like him? Paul says this in Colossians 3.17. We're going to look at this again at the end of this little series. Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the clearest statements in the New Testament about living lives in Jesus' name. What does that mean? And Paul is saying, whatever you do, it's a huge thing. Whatever you do, in word or deed, the things that we, that we physically do, the things that we say, the things that we, if we extrapolate it out, the things that we're thinking about, the actions that we have... Um, we are to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to explore that a little bit for the next four or five weeks in different ways. We're going to pick up what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? What does it mean to, to have, if you like, power or authority in Jesus' name? These are phrases that the New Testament uses. So we're going to look at what a few of those mean to help us understand this huge topic of whatever we do, let's do it all in the name of Jesus. It's quite a challenge. And we're going to pick up some of those. I find it particularly challenging um, to think about uh, what, this, what this means. And we're going to start by looking at uh, the text that Mal read for us in Philippians, another letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote. And we're going to pick up um, this word content. Paul says, as we heard just now, I rejoice greatly, Philippians 4 verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Remember the circumstances of his writing. 
this letter is that he's in jail. Paul is in chains. Paul is in jail as he wrote this letter, in jail for preaching Christ. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Great verse from, when we understand the context, uh, an amazing um, place of trust in God, that in the middle of jail, he can say, I am content in Christ. Contentment. If you go to uh, any of the bookstores or look online with that subject, you'll find lots of books uh, on contentment in different ways. Contentment in life, contentment in work, and finding contentment in the things that we do or that we want to be. What does it mean for you to be content? Um, Why don't you jump in, take 60 seconds, mention someone next to you, behind you, in front of you, whatever. What, What does it mean for you to be content? What does contentment look like for you? Go ahead, jump in. 60 seconds. Contentment, what does it mean? Personalise it. What does it mean for you? Did anyone mention that? Just, you know, time, relaxing, with a dog, (laughs) Uh, or a pet of some description. For some, that might mean be uh, contentment. I mean, it might be just a a job well done, relaxing after a job well done. It might just be relaxing full stop uh, with family, with people you care for, people you love. It might be the pursuit of, you know, the great Western dream to have your own house, um, whatever it is. Um, (laughs) That could be it for some of us. Uh, Even animals get this. Um, I've studied zoology and uh, we learn a lot from animals. I'd encourage us to do this once a week. Um, obviously, the ubiquitous cats are everywhere, and cats obviously can be contented. Look at that one. That's uh, very contented. I guess the point of this one is that sometimes in life, not many people actually find it. Not many people actually get it amidst a world that is troubled in lots of ways, and that's fair enough, too, when we even hear the story this morning of refugees, of people fleeing a country, and contentment sometimes could be uh, elusive. I found this one. Contentment is for cows. A challenging purpose is for people. (laughs) I think he's missed the point a little bit. Um, We talk about contented cows. But um, I think he's missed the point. Contentment is for people. Paul talks about it uh, in this passage. Um, You can look up lots of books, and particularly for kids. Parents want their kids to be contented. And, uh, look, I had to throw this in. Um, It's going back a little bit, but that's my first grandchild. I was contented. Uh, Hannah's father was contented. And uh, she was contented, obviously, being in safe arms. But um, I caught up with them yesterday, which is great. I don't see them as often as as I would like to. And uh, we had a great day uh, watching Hannah, who's now five, (laughs) uh, do little athletics uh, up at Hornsby Way. It was fantastic. And I threw my grandson a few times in the air, and I was just telling some people this morning, I'm paying for it already. So I'm not content at the moment. Uh, My back is hurting. But we get it. We get family life. We get contentment based on family life. Let's just clear that. So lots of different ways that we can think about contentment. I read the story of an airline pilot uh, flying over um, Tennessee and he said to his co-pilot as he flew over a lake, he said, 
Um, when I was young, I used to uh, uh, row a boat in that lake and go fishing. And every time a plane flew over, he said, I used to dream of being up there flying that. And he says, now I'm flying over that lake, looking at the boat, wanting to be down there in that boat fishing. Um, it's just funny the different ways that we think contentment will be. And it's sometimes an elusive pursuit. We go after what we think will make us happy, only to find that maybe it didn't work, uh, or in fact that we were happier before we started the quest. Um, the story of two uh, teardrops flowing uh, down a river, and one teardrop said to the other, like, who are you? And said, well, I'm a teardrop from a girl uh, who loved a man and lost him. And the other one said, well, what about you? And said, well, I'm the teardrop uh, from the girl who got him. <laughs> so that we can want different things, but from different perspectives, it can turn out differently. The lack of contentment that actually marks Western nations and our nation as well is, is reflected in a number of ways. Um, high rate of consumer debt is one of those ways. So you can look this up. This bar just talks about the level of consumer debt as a percentage, and basically Australia is one of the highest in the developed world at the moment. Um, it's around about what they, what they say is 212%. So I had to look up what that means, and it basically means if you earn, say, 80000 a year, then if you times that by 2.12, you're spending that each year. So your level of debt is, for example, 170 ish if you earn 80. Um, the levels of household debt in Australia, $2 trillion, and the average household owes about $250,000. Uh, now, some of that is good debt, they'll say, so they're you know, perhaps paying off uh, a mortgage um, uh, or paying off, um, say, a rental property to earn money. So some, of, some debt is good debt, they'll class it, because it's going to help you earn later, and that's sort of fair enough. It's saving for the future in that sense, but certainly some debt is not. Uh, and we clearly aren't content to live within our means with that high level of personal debt in a country like Australia and many others in the Western world. Uh, we suffer anxiety because we want other things. We want things that are, we think will give our life meaning and we sometimes get them and find that that's not it at all. And the advertising industry, the marketers amongst us are good at what they do and they help us to, to want things. Um, some of those things we don't actually uh, need. But there's a lot of pressure. Our discontent is also in the area of mobility. People are moving a lot. We, on average, about every five years and... And some of that is because we just have to. Our, our job requires us to move, we need to get work, and it might mean this area or that area, and so sometimes the increase in mobility is, is, is for necessity, but sometimes it's because we just want to move into a better place and have a better house and, and continue to get better things. But we never quite get there, it seems, sometimes. And uh, something uh, obviously sad too and discontent in Australia is... Marriages and divorces and the divorce rate. Um, many of us here have been a part of this in our own lives or in lives that we know. Back in 2015, uh, 118,000 marriages, uh, 48,000 divorces in that particular year. Um, just some things from Mark McCrindle. Uh, one in five will marry more than once. One in three will end in divorce. The length of marriages is getting longer now compared to the 90s. That's a good thing. Marriages are lasting longer. Some interesting uh, stats is that 80% of couples cohabit now, before marriage, and 
only 25% of couples will be married by a religious uh, celebrant. And so 75% are married by civil celebrants, and yeah, 80% of people are cohabiting. It's just interesting. Changes in our society and the level of discontent in our relationships at times. Contentment. What is it? It's to be satisfied, it's to have enough, it's being happy with what one has. It's to be happy in the circumstances one is in. Came across this definition for a, a Christian, an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. Big sort of blanket statement. Let's jump straight into what Paul is talking about with contentment as we start this little series thinking about what it means to live in Jesus' name. And we're picking up Paul's concept here that there is something about contentment in Jesus' name that's important. So Paul writes this towards the end of his letter. Great little letter. encourage you in your home groups. If you want to pick up a four-week series, uh, you won't do far wrong by looking at Philippians, four chapters. It's a letter of joy. Um, Paul is in prison, but it's a letter of joy, joy in suffering and joy in, in um in, in knowing what, what God is doing in our life. And so he says this as he gets ready to close the letter. He says in Philippians 4, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Uh, indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have the opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He continues, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when they first heard it and responded to it, uh, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account, as I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and he finishes, and my God... Verse 19, we'll meet uh, all your needs according to the riches in glory, of his glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, that little line, as well as in Christ. Paul uses that phrase a lot and it connects with our understanding of in Jesus' name. We need to be in Christ. We need to be people who are following Christ to be able to live uh, in Jesus' name. So let's look at a couple of things that I... Um, uh, have been challenged about with contentment in Jesus' name. And back in verse 12, he, it says he learned to be content. This wasn't natural for Paul. We think of Paul being this amazing uh, you know, ambassador for Christ. Of course, he was a powerful missionary uh, for Jesus and went around the, the known world then, sharing Christ, planting churches. But it says he learned contentment. It didn't come naturally. It didn't, wasn't just part of, yeah, yeah, I've become a Christian and I'm just content. He had to learn this. And so do we. We need to learn to be content in all circumstances. It wasn't an instantaneous transformation. It's a process. We learn uh, each day. We learn by study. We learn by practice. We learn by trying things. 
And it's the same with life. We learn how to be content by thinking about what it means, by thinking about what we have, by thinking about how we feel about what we have or don't have. And we learn what contentment is about as Jesus shapes our thinking, as he did with Paul. The key to the process is understanding that everything, big and little, major and minor, is under the sovereignty of God, that he uses all of our circumstances to train us in godliness if we submit and trust to him. Our attitude in trials and our deliberate submission to his sovereignty in the trial is what it's all about. And Paul modelled that beautifully. He learned contentment by submitting to the sovereignty of God. He knew his God loved him. He knew God cared for him. He knew God was going to provide for him. And so regardless of the circumstances, he began learning to be content, learning to express joy, which this little letter of Philippians is all about, learning to have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. When we trust and submit to the sovereign control of God over our lives, when we realise that, that Jesus is in our life, that he's leading us and guiding us, then we can know God's sufficiency in all things. And that is what Paul says is the secret of contentment. That's the word he uses. Not only has he learned to be content, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. It's something that's not necessarily intuitive. Why would we be content if we don't have anything? Paul says, I've learned to, have, I've learned to be content in when I have nothing as much as I am when I have everything. He's talking about a secret here. He uses that word. So what's the secret of contentment in verse 13? If, you know, it won't be on the screen now. We've looked at it, but look at your Bibles in front of you. Um, he learned the secret of contentment, and there's two aspects to that. One is that, as we've mentioned, it's not dependent on his circumstances. That's part of the secret. He's sitting in jail, and he's expressing joy and fully content in the Lord. It's got nothing to do with circumstances. And secondly, it's got everything to do with being empowered by God's strength and not his own. So when our sense of contentment and joy is in what we have or what happens to us, we're going to go up and down like a yo-yo. When our sense of joy depends on good situation at work or career opportunities or having a job, then our sense of contentment will go down as soon as we don't have those things. If it's dependent on, on having a healthy family, we're going to find aspects of life really difficult when ill health comes. Or even worse, when we lose people. And as we've heard this morning, and John's here with us, so we're praying for you, mate, and your family with Robin and her family as you seek to, to minister in that situation. Difficult times. He's had a difficult life. And we're praying, and it's hard. We know Robin well. Her contentment is not in circumstances. She's content in the Lord, and, and we've been inspired by the crosses as a family for years about that. But Paul is saying there's a secret here, and part of the secret is not to live dependent on the circumstances. You often get the question, how are you going? And sometimes the reply is, well, not bad under the circumstances. <laughs> I heard a Christian once say, never say that. A Christian is never to live under the circumstances. You are to live <laughs> regardless of the circumstances, content in Christ. And I went, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm great, thanks. <laughs> we need to be honest, of course, at times. We can't fake it, but it taught me a lesson, a valuable lesson. Yeah, don't let circumstances dictate my response to life. 
Don't let circumstances define what's going on. God is forgetting about me because life is lousy, perhaps. Have I done something wrong? No, no, no. The secret, Paul says, is not being dependent on our circumstances. And that he gives us the strength, Paul says, in verse 13. I can do all of this, living with much and living with little. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the secret. Relying on the strength that God gives no matter what, not relying on the circumstances. It seems so straightforward, but it's so easy to live with an eye on our circumstances. And our joy goes up and down with that, rather than just having a relationship with God where the joy comes from being in relationship with Jesus. Not, not even in ministry or good things. For ministers, you know, you know, we get together at different times and we talk about how we're doing and you know, some are loving it. New church plant and seeing people come to Christ and great ministry and their joy is there and you sort of share that and it's right. But even Paul says uh, in this letter, you know, um, our joy, he says rejoice, not in ministry. He says rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice in the Lord. That's where our joy comes from from our relationship with Jesus, not even in, oh, souls are coming to Christ. Of course we get happy with that. Of course we express joy with that, but that is not the source of our joy. Paul's in prison. He's not actively doing any ministry in that sense, but he's joyful because his joy is centred in Jesus. So contentment comes not from relying on physical circumstances, but on the divine strength that God gives. The third thing I've learnt from this Little passage is contentment is trusting that God meets all my needs through his glorious provision in Christ. The final verse of what we've been looking at in verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a promise. What a promise. Contentment is trusting that God meets all my needs. So let's just have a little think about that. God meets all our needs in Christ Jesus. Well, here's a kicker to start with. It's needs, not wants. Um, sometimes, in our worst moments, we get confused. I really need that. Uh, when clearly it's we want it. So we need discernment. We need God's spirit to help us discern sometimes. This verse tells us that God's supply is inexhaustible. It is in the glorious riches of Christ. He's not got a grab bag that if he gives too much out, there'll be none left. He's supplying this out of the infinite, inexhaustible riches in glory of Christ. Wow, that's amazing. It's not a limited amount of money that the government doles out and that's it. No, no, no. It's not a finite gift that, that stops. No, God's supply in meeting our needs is inexhaustible. It is connected with the glory of the riches in Christ. If we're needing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, if we're needing those things, God provides them. We don't just try hard to get them. They're fruit of the Spirit as we allow his Spirit to lead and rule in our life. His Spirit is produced. It's his fruit from his Spirit. It's inexhaustible, the supply. 
of those things. That's amazing when it comes to God meeting our needs. And it must, we must be in Christ in order to receive this. Clearly, Paul is saying there, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We need to be in Christ Jesus. It's another way of saying to do things in Jesus' name. If we're doing them in his name, we have his authority. We have his power that comes with it. We have his heart, his agenda. We're seeking to live like he lived. And that's what Paul is saying here. We've got to be in Christ in order for this to be supplied. But there's one more thing here in this verse that's really important. It's got to do with the immediate context of this verse. There's two things going on. There's a promise in verse 19 and there's a premise in the verses preceding it. And we can't claim the promise without understanding and living out the premise. Now, I'm not getting just you know, fancy and clever. Have a look at what Paul says, verse 14 to 18. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles... Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Now, Siva talking about receiving those boxes, that was like a fragrant sacrifice, it seems. Those, is that fair to say? Those gifts were so wonderfully received. Getting a gift is like a fragrant uh, offering. It's more than just physical things. It, it hits the heart. There is a fragrance about this. And... Paul is saying, you guys gave, even when you didn't have anything, in a sense, you gave. And it's that giving then that Paul says, hey, when you give, please understand that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. We quickly go to the promise, but don't necessarily understand the premise. If we're going to be like Jesus, one of the things that he is, one of the things that God is, is generous. He gives us the best heaven had. How's that for a thought? God gave us the best heaven had in his son. The best. He didn't hold back. He didn't give us a lesser version because he might not have thought we deserved it. He gave us the best he had in the son of God. Giving him freely. Jesus himself giving himself fully to us on the cross. That's amazing. God is a generous God. And if we're going to be like him, if we're going to walk as he walked, then we're going to be people who express generosity. It could be a gift of a box. It could be uh, sitting down to just give people time to listen to them. It could be showing someone how to draw comfort from the scriptures as the Spirit of God helps comfort a person through the Word of God. It could be giving financially because God has blessed us. It could be more than that. Jesus said, sell all you have and come follow me. One of the things that we like to put over here when we follow Jesus, and we love this one, but we may not like that one. There are some challenging things Jesus says, but one of the things that we will become if we're following Jesus is generous. And here Paul is saying, get this promise. My God will meet all, all. This is a special Greek word. Viv will back me up on this. This word means all. It's one of the special translated words. 
It means all. All your needs. What a, what a promise. According to the riches of his glory in Christ. But don't forget the premise. Living generously allows God to unlock heaven on his people. Wow. That's where contentment comes from. Learning to be content. Learning the secret of not living under the circumstances, but in fact trusting in God's strength to live regardless of the circumstances and knowing that whatever we do, whatever we have, my God will supply richly all our needs. When we think about this, it's, it's sometimes it's hard. Some of us know we're in difficult times and we know what it's like there. And you know what? The Christian life is not just difficult. It's actually impossible on our own. It was never meant to be lived on our own. It's meant to be lived in the fullness of the Spirit of God, relying on his strength for everything. The words that we say, the, the way that we live, our reactions, our giving, motivated by God. Our lifestyle, shaped by what will honour Christ. The Christian life is not just difficult, it's impossible on our own. We can only live for Christ if we live in the power and strength that God gives. There are many tired Christians getting burnt out, getting to the end, because we're trying to live on our own, in our own strength. I love the simple story of the guy who uh, uh, saved up to get a ticket on an ocean liner and grabs his ticket and... And he's in the cabin and, you know, he, he, um, he brought some um, cheese and bickies along the way because, you know, he just um, needed to, uh, you know, have some sustenance. And he's in his room and he's eating his cheese and bickies and, you know, he's getting to the end of that supply in a day or two. It's a two-week cruise, so he's wondering what he's going to do. And he sees outside his door, you know, through the window down the corridor, guys taking silver trays down, there's food and he smells it and he goes out one day after a few days of the cheese and bickies and says, you know... What's with the food? How do I get that? And the guy simply says, well, you've got a ticket, haven't you? He said, well, yeah. He said, the meals come with the ticket. It's just a little thing to say, friends. Do we know what it means to be in Christ? Do we know what God is doing in Christ, in our life? Are we aware of the promises that God has for us? To live for him, regardless of the circumstances, knowing the supply comes from the fullness of the riches of Jesus. Do we know what it is to live above the circumstances, joyfully in Christ, regardless of what is happening? Do we know that that comes with the ticket, that that comes with salvation in Christ? Let's uh, gear up and finish up this morning. came across this verse as I was doing some research this week, and uh, Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. The writer says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. It's fairly direct to God. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. There's, there's much wisdom in that. Proverbs is full of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in just simply saying, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Help me to be content with what you've given me. Because there are excesses and problems at both ends. God doesn't want us to live like paupers. Neither does he just uh, want us to live uh, richly without giving of that wealth. There's no problem with wealth. We'll talk about that another time when we next do our stewardship series. 
But there's wisdom there in simply saying, Lord, give me just what I need to thank you, to get through each day. Because there are problems at either end. God has promised to provide all our needs. Contentment is learning to trust in God's sovereign hand to provide what he wants to give for us. For Paul, a mansion was just the same as a prison cell. A banquet, the same as meagre rations. Success and failure are both imposters. Being faithful to Christ and finding joy and contentment for Paul was everything. Uh, One of the commentators uh, had this written. He said, Legend has it that a wealthy merchant during Paul's day had heard about the Apostle Paul and became so fascinated that he determined to visit him. And so when passing through Rome, he got in touch with Timothy and arranged an interview with Paul the prisoner. Stepping inside his cell, the merchant was surprised to find the Apostle looking rather old and physically frail. But he felt at once the strength, the serenity, the magnetism of this man who relied on Christ as his all in all. They talked for some time and finally the merchant left. Outside the cell, he asked Timothy, what's the secret of this man's power? I've never seen anything like it before. Did you not guess, replied Timothy, Paul is in love. The merchant looked puzzled, in love. He asked, yes, said Timothy, Paul is in love with Jesus Christ. The merchant looked even more bewildered and said, is that all? And Timothy said, well, that's everything. Is it for us? Above all, the secret of contentment is to be captivated by Jesus. Captivated. Wanting to be like him. Allowing God to shape us more into his character. Wanting to honour him. Not just in the things that people see you doing. But in what you say in your quiet moments. Or alone moments. Or what you think in those alone moments. As well, being captivated by Christ is living each day in Jesus' name. Learning how Jesus responded to needs, stood against the devil, reached out to the marginalised, shared all that he had. The secret of contentment is to be captivated by Christ. So let's pray because we're about to sing, Christ is enough. And it begs the question, is he? Let's pray. Father, uh, we are just here before you this morning, challenged by these words of Paul written from a prison. But these words were written as a thank you note as he sat in prison. A thank you note. Writing to people to say thank you for the gift. Not that I need your gift, But I'm really keen for God to bless you because you've given. Challenging words in a challenging place. Under arrest for preaching Christ. Father, help us as your people to learn this secret of contentment that Paul talks about. We want to be people who honour you with all that we have because you've given us all that we have anyway. So, Father, may you receive gratefully from us. May you receive back generously from us because we're simply reflecting just a little bit of who you are because we're becoming like you as we are shaped and conformed to the image of your Son. So help us to learn to do life in Jesus' name and help us to start this week by getting a glimpse of this contentment of being in Christ. 
So speak to us, Lord, help us to be honest with where we're at. Be honest with some of the things that we desire, maybe even the things that we don't speak to others about, but hold in our hearts. Help us to be honest about those things. Help us to allow you to speak to us about our desires, the things that we want, and help to shape those to be desires that honour you. So please find us in your word. Please find us people who want to know how you want us to live. Let's not leave the Bible aside as if we've graduated from that because it's what the kids learn in Sunday school. No, Lord, your word is your truth for all time, your living word. There is power in your word for it is the very presence of Jesus. He is the word. So help us to walk with him through life and uh, sharing with others this secret of contentment that Paul has challenged us with this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.